0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Good Good morning. Oh, it is so great to be with you this Lord's Day morning, the very last Lord's Day of 2018. Amen. Yes. And if you're one of the fortunate few who have not had to meet me yet, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Robert Piercy. I'm 38 years old, which in this church apparently makes me old. Um, I'm a, um, the senior staff member now. Um, I am a lifelong resident of the Friendly City, and uh, if you look at the screens, I'm going to put a, uh, an amazing picture up there. Uh, that is not my family. Um, it's, well, it's just a picture of them. Uh, they're actually sitting right over there. Uh, my wife, Allison, is my high school sweetheart. We went to two proms together, got married right out of school, uh, did not listen to my parents. <laughs> Uh, my oldest daughter, Addie, she is 17, a senior at Green County Tech. I have a son, Aiden, who's 15, a 10th grader. Andy is 13, she is in the 7th grade, and the little Ace is back there in Fellowship Kids. He's 5 years old in kindergarten. And I know what you're thinking already. You're looking at that picture, you're hearing that resume right there, and you're thinking, Wow, I bet this guy's an expert at raising kids. In fact, I think the elders were thinking along the same lines when they hired me to oversee uh, communications and families. But the truth of the matter is that oftentimes I feel completely inadequate, as Jared said. I feel overwhelmed as a parent and by the responsibility of parenting. In fact, to me, parenting would be a lot like um, folding a fitted sheet. Does anybody here know how to do that? like, <laughs> no. Yeah. A great theologian, and we'll put his uh, quote up there, Jim Gaffigan, and he's not actually a theologian, he's a comedian, and a Catholic, you know. But he says this, he says, every night before I get my one hour of sleep, I have the same thought. Well, that's a wrap on another day of acting like I know what I'm doing. I wish I were exaggerating, but I'm not. Most of the time, I feel entirely unqualified to be a parent, and I call these times being awake. <laughs> maybe you can relate. This parenting thing is hard. So with that in mind, I would like to talk to you all about how you should raise your kids. (laughs) It's really scary. And it's really scary raising kids. The world is evolving really fast. Society changes really fast. When we were young, parents would worry about their kids smoking in the bathroom at school. And today. A jewel. Most of you have probably never even heard of that. It allows students to vape in class without their teacher even knowing it. You know what a jewel is? Yeah, it's a vape pen type thing. Looks like a little USB card. They can exhale it in their shirt. Pretty neat, huh? Uh, when we were young, Christian parents would worry about their teens having sex before marriage. But today's teens, they face issues on gender identity. Or they have LGBTQ friends. When we were young... We heard of the occasional hormone crazy teenage boy that would sneak a copy of his dad's Playboy magazine. But today, all a young man has to do is simply ask his teenage girlfriend for a naked picture of herself on her phone. Or maybe look up some pornography in the bathroom on his own phone. We have distracted driving today as a problem. We have cyberbullying, social media, the list goes on and on and on. The more I talk about it, I'm getting nervous. Just standing here, I'm getting anxious. The nature of kids has never changed. They've always been sinful, you know, I mean, like Psalm 51, like we're sinful from, from birth, right? From conception. But the means they now have to act on those sinful desires, they've never been more accessible. Boy, it makes it tough. So in all seriousness, I want to say that I stand here as a dad in desperate need of the grace of God. I'm on the journey with you. I am not, as Jared said, he was being very facetious. I'm not an expert by any means. I don't have it all figured out. But I am a fellow disciple of Jesus with you in the trenches. And so with all that being said, we need to look to the one who is the expert. We need to look to God and his word and see what he has to say. So we're going to look at today at Psalm 127, which comes from the middle of your Bible. And what's so great about the middle of your Bible is it's filled with the wisdom books from God. This is the word of God for you, for me. And there's some great wisdom from Psalm 127 we're going to read today. This is Solomon saying, unless the Lord builds the house... Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father. Wow, what a, what a title. Father. We were strangers. We were orphans. But you've adopted us. You've given us a new name. You've made us sons and daughters and co-heirs with with your son, Christ. You're the perfect parent. You're good and you're right. You're faithful and patient. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in in faithful love. You keep your promises. You never lie. You're so good. Teach us now from your word to To be more like you. Help us, Father, to shepherd the hearts of our kids. To know you. That they might love you. And enjoy you forever. In the name of your perfect son. And our glorious king, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 There are two truths that I want to pull out of Psalm 127. That are just staring us in the face. The first of which is that children are a blessing, not a burden. Now the world would like to convince you that children are a burden. Something to get in your way of climbing the ladder, or seeing the world, or living life on your terms. Children are expensive. Children are messy. They are difficult. Like really difficult. (laughs) They are needy, but they are not a burden. All children, and by that I mean all children, no matter their level of intelligence or their physical ability or lack thereof, regardless of whether they were planned or not, despite the ease or difficulty by which they came, all children are a blessing from God. The word reward used there in verse 3. It's the same word that would have been used for what you receive from your employer at the end of the week. And uh, who goes to the bank with that check in hand muttering to himself, man, what a burden this check is to me. No, no, it's payday. You know what I'm saying? That's why I do what I do. It's a reward. Yeah. Children are a blessing in two ways. Number one, they're a blessing to parents. The first time that I held each of my four kids, God, what a blessing. I still have the video of the day that Allison called me at work and told me that she was going to the hospital and going to have a baby. And I took a video of myself talking to Addie, my oldest, telling her how excited I was. And I remember this hideously ugly thing. <laughs> In my art, it was, she was, she was covered and it was really gross. I mean, she's covered in all kinds of stuff, discolored. I mean, she turned out beautiful, but I just, but I just remember the, the joy that I felt. You ever, you ever heard someone say, now there's a, you know, a child only a parent can love, right? Like, you know, I just, but man, what, what a, what a blessing. ah. Uh, Or the way that my oldest daughter speaking to her, she'd make a smile and still does today. When she would use this word, when she was little and first started started to learn how to talk, we would say, love you, Addie. She'd say, whatie? (laughs) She couldn't say, love you. So still to this day, we say, whatie? And then we would say to Addie, we'd say, whatie, Addie? When she was little and she'd say, too whatie? Isn't that sweet? (laughs) Golly. Just a blessing. I'm telling you, she she loves this stuff. I'm telling you. (laughs) Or the fact that our 13 year old Andy she affords my wife and I a date night like once or twice a week by babysitting our five year old. That is a blessing. You know what I'm saying? Or seeing the wonder of my youngest boy in, in in my youngest boy's eyes when he rode in an airplane for the first time. He loves those things. Golly, what a blessing. I have a son now that can mow the yard. (laughs) Praise God. What a blessing. Now, it's hard to get him to do it. but. But it's a lot easier than mowing it. My three oldest are working summer jobs. They actually have money of their own when they want to go out. You see this watch? A Christmas gift I didn't have to pay for. It's a blessing. A blessing. Children are a blessing to parents. They're a blessing to parents. But not only that, but children are a blessing and are to be a blessing to the world. They're not the problem with the world. They're a blessing. They're the solution to the world. They're God's solution to the world. Marriage, listen to this, marriage is for making children disciples of Jesus. Let me say that again. Marriage is for making children disciples of Jesus. There's a double meaning I want to, I pray that we all will hear. A, marriage is for making children. That is procreation, having babies. Now, it's not the main meaning of marriage, but it is an important one. It is a biblical one. Adam and Eve were given this mandate to fill the earth with people. But then we add the words disciples of Jesus. Marriage is for making children disciples of Jesus. So the, the focus shifts The purpose of marriage is not merely to add more bodies to the planet. The point is to increase the number of worshipers of Jesus on the planet. So I want to speak to a moment, and Jared pointed this out earlier. I want to talk to those who either don't have children yet, or maybe you cannot have children, or maybe your children are grown and gone, and you're thinking, this is not for me. The idea that we are to be about making children disciples of Jesus means that there's a place for each one of us in this process. So when the focus of marriage becomes making children disciples of Jesus, the meaning of marriage in relation to children is not mainly make them, but make them disciples. And the latter can happen even if the former doesn't. Jesus said in Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. He said it's the smallest of the seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about worshipers of Jesus, And what disciples or worshipers of Jesus are like, they're like the small grain of seed that's planted in the ground and that grow and spread in such a way that when they're mature and they're they're grown, they are a blessing to the birds of the air who come and take shade in its branches that rest there. Here's the point, that everywhere Christianity spreads and everywhere that, that believers in Jesus, disciples of Jesus find themselves, that area is blessed for them to be there. That's why Solomon compares children to arrows in the hand of a warrior in verse 4. Our children are to be raised, trained, equipped, and sent out in such a way as to make a huge dent on the world for the glory of God. When we make children disciples of Jesus, Satan takes notice. The kingdom of God advances and the world benefits. So not only are they a reward like a paycheck, but verse three says they're a heritage, an inheritance. An inheritance, what's so great about it? It's an undeserved gift. It's something I didn't have to work for. It's the result of somebody else's work. I need an inheritance. Amen? <laughs> Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Ace, my son, my youngest, he regularly asks me, Dad, who built this? Did God build this or did the builders build it? We were driving home from Jonesboro yesterday. We get down on uh, Worth Street on my way to my house, and we're driving down the road, and Ace asks the same question. Dad, who built this road? Did God build this road or did the builders build it? Yes, Ace. <laughs> yes. He's real confused. You're probably confused. But yeah, I mean, like, the builders had to do something, right? But if it, if it weren't for the Lord, it wouldn't have got done. You know what I'm saying? It's the Lord who gives us strength. It's the Lord who makes things happen. It's God who blesses parents with children. And it's God who blesses the world with children who are disciples of Jesus. So, children are a blessing. They're not a burden. But on the flip side of that, we got to remember the second thing. Children are a gift but not a God. There's a trap that's been set for parents here in Perigold. It's very well hidden. Very easy to miss. So don't miss this. Your children are a gift that have been given to you to disciple toward Jesus. They are not a God meant to replace Jesus. Children are not meant to be worshiped. They're not given to you to build your life around, to have them tell you how you should spend your time, your money, your resources. They're not to be the ones that decide what church you go to or what you're supposed to do with your life. Looking back at verse 4, we just read that children are like the arrows in the hand of a warrior. So let's break that down a bit. What does that mean? It means our children are given to us as a gift and we are to steward them. We steward gifts. And we disciple them in such a way that long after our life is over, they're continuing to impact lives to the glory of God. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in America in the early to mid 1700s. He was uh, instrumental in the first great awakening. The father of, get this, 11 children. He realized that children were a blessing and not a burden, else he wouldn't have had so many, Right. Might have figured that out, what was going on here. By the way, if you're ever in the mood to uh, feel like an utter failure as a parent, there's a good book you should read called Jonathan Edwards, A Life Well Lived by Dr. Alan Hedberg. Uh, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards were very intentional on how they parented. And as I read this book and see what they did with their kids and the intentionality they had with their kids, I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, I am failing. You know what I'm saying? They They were so good. But what did they have to show for it? Well, we'll throw a few things on the screen. Uh, they, had, they studied a thousand of their descendants, okay? They, they traced their descendants down to about a thousand people, descendants of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, and here's what they found more than a hundred lawyers and thirty judges. Yeah, I'm telling you. Thirteen college presidents, a hundred more professors, sixty physicians, a hundred clergymen, missionaries, and theological professors. 80 of them were elected to public office, including three mayors, three governors, several members of Congress, three senators, and one vice president. 60 of them attained prominence in authorship with 135 books to merit, 75 army or Navy officers, and one leader of the U.S. Treasury. How about that? They made an impact, did they not? And if you're anything like me, you hear this list and you think, boy, I need the grace of God. I am ruining my kids. (laughs) Verses 1 and 2 remind us that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So if you're a parent with young kids or you don't have kids yet, hear this. Things are not going to work out the way you think. And I remember when Allison was pregnant with our firstborn, We were at a baby shower hosted by the little church where I was serving. And I stood before everyone at this baby shower. I remember like it was yesterday. I thanked them for their support. And then I laid out why I was so thankful that we were having a baby. Because this is exactly how it's going to be. You know, the world is going to be so thankful that we're raising children. Because we're going to do it right. And this is what it's going to look like. And I laid it out. There's a quote. Reminds me of me. That says, parenting was much easier when I was raising my non-existent children, yeah. hypothetically. <laughs> yeah. So there's two essentials I want to I give you that might be helpful to you if you are like me and feeling a lot of weight, a lot of frustration. I feel like I failure a lot. The first one is this, that Jesus is the only perfect son. Amen. Your children will not be perfect and you should not expect them to be. In fact, this expectation will crush your kids and it will leave you disappointed. When our kids sin, we discipline. But what is the end goal of discipline? What are we after? This is a big question. Are we after behavior modification or heart transformation? Now, if you're like me, usually it's behavior modification. Let's be honest. You know, I just want them to be quiet. I just want them to get along. I just want the people at the crossing on Sunday morning to see how good they are so they will think highly of me. That's what I want. I need Ace to quit running and yelling so loud so that the people at Tamales won't think, what a horrible parent. You know why I know they think this? Because we were just saying the same thing the other day when we were eating out, weren't we? We were like, those people take that kid outside for crying out loud. So let's talk about Christian parenting in just a second. I'm going to give you a little anecdotal story here, purely for hy- hypothetically here, okay? Let's imagine there are two siblings. Let's name one of them Aiden and the other Andy. You know, just. <laughs> and we're going to imagine that this. Aiden, no, no, they're like ten and seven. You know, not not my kids. Uh, let's imagine that they're sitting on the couch and I don't know, watching Fuller House on Netflix, okay? When uh, Andy real, or excuse me, Aiden, the older one. Realizes that his sister's leg is encroaching on his sacred cushion. And what he does is he reaches under and pinches her leg real hard. She starts crying. And that's when dad walks in. This hypothetical dad. And he sees what's happening. And he says, Aiden, say you're sorry. He's not sorry. But he says, sorry. Dad says, say it like you mean it. Sorry. Dad raises his voice, at least say a full sentence. I'm sorry. Then dad says, Jesus is so happy when you say you're sorry. Dad turns to leave and the minute he does, Aiden turns and does this to his sister. And no matter what dad just said, Jesus is not happy about anything in this encounter. Let's think about what Aiden has just learned. He's learned that dad is easily satisfied, so jump through his hoops quickly so he will leave me alone. Second, if I'm gonna do violence to my sibling, it's best to do it when dad isn't around. So whenever all I'm worried about, whenever my primary goal is to, is to modify the behavior of my children, I'm teaching them inadvertently two things, to despise God and to sin smarter. So Aidan's learned to despise his dad and ultimately his heavenly father. And he's learned to be a smarter sinner so the next time he doesn't get caught. He's learned to be a Pharisee. Which is a religious person. Jesus said in Matthew 23, they were clean on the outside, but on the inside they're full of death and decay. By the way, what if our kids were the model kids? What if, what if our kids we're great in front of everybody. They look, they dress nice. They always cleaned up their room when they were told. What if our kids didn't say any cuss words like ever? Okay. What if they never vaped in school or they never uh, went to parties and things like that? What if they made straight A's? What if they go to college and they do a great job? They get a great career and they have a, a, a beautiful wife and kids and all that. and Everything looks great. Well, what if that actually happens? Will they be right before God? When our kids fail, what do we do? Well, we discipline, but not out of selfish frustration that we've been somehow inconvenienced. We just want them to behave better. We go after the heart. This is hard, by the way. We ask heart-probing questions, and we point them to their need for Jesus. We disciple them by showing them that the void they're trying to fill with this behavior can only be satisfied in Jesus we got to model love and grace and patience, the same kind that God has for us, in the face of our children's failure. And it's tough to control the flesh. Actually, it's impossible. Because our flesh tells us, it tells me, that my kids are a burden. It's easiest just to address their behavior. But God's interested in the heart. In Psalm 51, David is confessing his sin to God after he'd been caught in adultery and murder. I mean, just like horrible. when um, David is confessing before God. And at the end of that psalm, David said, you don't delight in sacrifice or burnt offerings, or I would give it. He says the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. God's looking for the heart of your child. And that's what we need to be shepherding towards Jesus. But your children aren't going to be perfect. Jesus was the only perfect son. But number two, God, the Father, is the only perfect parent. And just as our kids are going to fail us, you are going to fail them as their parents. Jared gave a great anecdotal story. I didn't even ask you for permission on this, so I'll just ask for forgiveness now. But a couple of weeks ago, he gave this great anecdotal story. It stuck with me of parenting gone wrong. Uh, and I'm glad he shared it because I couldn't think of any personally. And uh, <laughs> but he shared how he'd gotten angry at his daughter for pouring an entire bottle of genuine maple syrup—not the cheap stuff I use, but the expensive stuff—on top of her pancakes, and how he'd gotten mad at her and like sent her off, you know. And and then what I love about the story, by the way, this is how I usually do. Okay, it's usually what I do: knee-jerk stuff, yell real loud. But what I love about his story is what he did next. He said that he went to his daughter, Nora. He asked her for forgiveness, and he demonstrated his own need for Jesus. So you're going to fail as a parent, and your kids, especially at a young age, they need to hear you own it. They need to see you model what repentance looks like. And I say, especially at a young age, thanks to something Adam reminded me of recently, and that is that young kids will never look at a parent who's acting out in a sinful way and say, man, there is something wrong with him. No. They intuitively believe there must be something wrong with me. David Mathis, will put this quote on the screen, he's the executive director of Desiring God, and he says, when I come down on them with all my adult emotional weight, they can be crushed So easily. But when I come down to them and stand with them in owning my own sin and recognizing my need for Jesus' ongoing rescue, then I'm not only modeling repentance before them, but I'm also living the authentic Christian life myself, rather than letting parenting be an excuse for hypocrisy. Our fear, my fear, of losing the moral high ground with my kids is usually what drives me to hide my own sin from my kids. I don't want to lose the moral high ground. But really what I'm doing is I'm trying to preserve my own image rather than protecting my kids. He goes on to say, If I try to hide the chink in my armor, I don't protect them, but endanger them. I reinforce the myth that we can be good enough to garner God's favor. Boy, what a lie. So before we land the plane, I want to offer some encouragement because this is heavy to me, but I want to offer some encouragement to all you failures out there, (laughs) and that is that failing as a parent is going to put you in some pretty good company. Adam and Eve, the very first parents, their firstborn son killed their second son. David, a pretty godly man, his son Absalom tried to kill him. And overthrow the the throne. Mary and Joseph, they lost their 12 year old savior of the world. So, so the Bible's full, the the heroes of the Bible are full of, of failure as parents. So what do we do? I've got two things I think would be great if we just implement these two things into our life. Number one, We've got to relentlessly pursue the favor of God. Again, verses 1 and 2. They make it abundantly clear that what we do as parents matters, but what God does matters more. So we need to pray for our kids regularly. (laughs) If the Lord doesn't do this, we're laboring in vain. Building a house, we're raising kids. We're raising kids in vain. All that parenting, all the great books you're reading. It's all in vain. If the Lord doesn't work on the hearts of those kids, pray for them regularly. And then pray with your kids regularly. They need to hear you praying. Teach them how to do it. And teach your kids to pray. So relentlessly pursue the favor of God, but also put yourself and your kids in a community of fellow disciples. It's so true that parents are the primary agents that God uses to make disciples. But they can't do this alone. It's why the church here, uh, fellowship is investing so much time, so much energy, so much financial resources into children and student ministry. Because this is important. I'll give you a couple things parents need. They'll be on the screen here. Parents need a deep confidence in God. And that's what the church can help you get. You know? Like rather than, than resting on your own strength, we, we gather together each week to be reminded that we need God, And not only do we need him, but he is a God who's able to to do what we can't do. We need a confidence in God. Parents need motivation to persevere year in and year out. We get tired. Parents need help in teaching the Bible. Any of you in here expert theologians? No. And sometimes like we avoid teaching the Bible to our kids because we feel like we don't know it well enough. And one of the great things about being a part of community is that your kids sit under not just your teaching, but the teaching of others. Parents need training with subjects and skills that they lack expertise in. I'm not able to, the world is changing so fast, I'm not able to even keep up with all this stuff. And we need help from one another. Parents need community and a reinforcement of truth and moral standards. They need solutions to tough problems raised by children. Parents need correction. When others can see that something is wrong and they can't see it. Well, that's what a missional community or a DNA group is going to do for you. Parents need prayer. And boy, as a church, that's something we do often and for each other. So, we obviously need the Lord. We need His Word. We need His favor. And we need His church. So catch this. All of our laboring to make children disciples of Jesus so that they can be sent out, you know, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, to bless the world. That points us to the ultimate reality that God, the perfect father, sent his own son out into the world like an arrow to pierce, as Jared said to me earlier, the darkness, pierce the darkness and bless the world. And that's why we celebrate every week. We celebrate here with communion. I'm going to ask the band actually to come forward. And as they do, we're going to all stand together. In communion, we recognize our failure as parents. We recognize our failure as kids. As sons and daughters. We recognize our need for Jesus. So at the communion table, we're reminded of our union with Christ whose perfection totally and completely washes away our failure. Mm. We need Him. And so let's celebrate together today the perfect Father, the perfect Son. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the wisdom You provide us. You don't just send us out here alone to figure all this stuff out. You give us wisdom. You give us favor. You want our kids to be worshipers of Jesus more than we do. So God, um, make us a parent more like you. God, have your way with our children. And equip us, help us to do what we need to do as parents. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.